prayer. Let's pray before we have the message here this morning. What I want to do is just take a, about 30 seconds of silence so we can prepare our hearts. There's a lot of busyness, a lot of news, a lot of things going around us. And so let's just prepare our hearts for God's word. Lord, 30 seconds of just sitting in still and silence seems like a long time because it's very rare that we get to do that in this world. So I just thank you that you've given us a time to be able to rest in you. Lord, I pray this morning as we open your word, may it go out with power and strength that can only come from you. Lord, give us the power of your spirit. Help us, lead us, guide us with the power of your word. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, it's led us in the study of Genesis to the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through this uh, chapter of the Bible and talk about how it can affect our own lives. So this message is going to be about marriage, but I believe it, whether you're married or not, there are principles that we see in these scriptures and that we'll talk about as we launch into talking about marriages that you can apply to different relationships in your life. So if you're not married here this morning, don't be discouraged. I believe this will still be an encouraging uh, time for you. We believe that marriages are under a lot of stress right now. Have you, have you noticed that? Uh, it's people that are spending a lot more time together than they normally do, people that normally travel for business or at home, and all that extra time together isn't always all lovey and dovey. So we believe that marriage is God's idea. And you'll see here as we go through this uh, chapter in Genesis 24, this is the seventh longest chapter in the entire Bible. Um, and I believe it's, it's like that way because marriage is of importance to God. We believe that the Bible clearly teaches that marriage is the permanent union of one man and one woman, a one flesh union. We believe that God has given sex as a wonderful gift to be enjoyed in marriage alone between a husband and a wife. The, the purpose of sex and marriage is oneness, children, and pleasure. And when we think about marriage, I think in our world we have this idea that it's going to be some type of fairy tale, right? The prince and the princess, they, they meet, right? And I've got a little uh, visual for you to go along with this uh, on each, each, each part. They meet together, and then they fall in love uh, with each other, and then they get married to each other. And then they live happily ever after. Wow, that's a, that's a hot princess right there. Woo, I like, I like that. That's the way it goes in marriage, right? Right? Simple. Not quite as simple, right? Uh, we uh, sometimes struggle in our marriages. In fact, my wife gave me a sign that's in my office that says the first 50 years of marriage are always the hardest. And so... We have this idea that we could fall off of two cliffs of marriage. One, we could kind of mock it and say that it's impossible, that there's a ball and chain and uh, never really work on our marriage. Or we could have this other idea of marriage that's perfect and it's this fairy tale story. It's really not uh, either one of those. It's 
uh, uh, somewhere in between there. And I believe that in marriage that you can have a happily imperfect marriage. That's how I would describe my own marriage, and I believe that's how the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca is, and I believe that's, that's how it's described in Scripture. Because when you have two people that live together that are sinners together, there's going to be issues. Can I be a difficult person to love? Uh, all you have to do is ask my wife that. I absolutely can be a difficult person to love. Can your spouse be a difficult person to love? Don't answer that too loudly if you're sitting next to your spouse. But of course they can. Can, can you be a difficult person to love? Yeah, we all can be difficult because we are sinners who desperately need Jesus. So let's jump into the story here of Isaac and Rebecca. And uh, there's 67 verses here. And I read it all at once and found out it took me nine minutes to read it all at once. So I thought, I'm not going to spend nine minutes of me reading. You guys will fall asleep. And this new lighting that we have, you guys like this? Dylan uh, did a great job of setting up this uh, lighting here. And so let me read a few scriptures, a few verses of scripture, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Abraham was now old and was well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to his chief servant in the household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living. But I will go to my country, my own relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back there. Abraham said, The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household into my native land, who spoke to me and promised me on an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back to you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. All right, the first thing that just sticks out to me is what's up with the hand under the thigh thing? <laughs> is, anyone that, that, is that the first thing that spoke to you guys too? I'm like, what is going on here? So uh, as I did a little research on what this is about, and basically this is like a powerful form of what a pinky swear is. You know how we do pinky swears? Uh, that doesn't really make sense. Why would we embrace pinkies together? It's kind of the same thing here. It was an oath. It was a symbol of, yes, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And especially when they did it in the name of the Lord, it was unbelievably powerful. And so Abraham was really old at this time. He was about 140 years old at the time. And Isaac was about the age of 40, and so it was about time for him to get a wife. But even though he was 40, he trusted his father and his father's wisdom to get a bride for him. I mean, that's a little different than what we do in our world today. I have a little guilty pleasure that I like watching called uh, Married at First Sight. Anybody seen this? It's pretty crazy. These, uh, this, this man and woman, they meet each other on the altar for the first time, they have all these experts that do all these background checks on everything, uh, and they literally shake each other's hands and get legally married uh, right there. And it's a pretty fascinating thing, and that's kind of what was happening here, is that he was trusting in God. He was trusting in his father to go and, and get 
a, a wife for him. But because Abraham was so old, he wasn't able to travel. And this was kind of the custom of the time to be able to go out to send a, a person that would, that would be a representative of the person that was looking for the bride. And he was very clear. He wanted to make sure that Isaac married another believer. Now, I know there are people that, through the grace of God, make marriages work where they're unequally yoked. But Scripture is clear that when you're looking for a spouse, that it should be someone that you're unified in Christ with. And if you have kids, I encourage you to pray every night for your kids to not only marry a believer, but marry someone that is on fire for Jesus. Because when you have that commonality in marriage, you have a strong foundation. And Abraham knew that. And so he prayed that this, this uh, servant would be able to go out and find a wife that had like was like-minded and had the same uh, exact principles and had uh, worshiping the Lord on the front of her mind. And so he sends his servant to do that. They do the oath together, and the servant goes on his way. And the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with them all kinds of goods from his master. He sent out from Aram Naharam and made his way home to Nahor. He had his camels kneel down near the well outside the town. And it was toward evening, the time a woman would go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show my kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that I say to the girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen uh, for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you show kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Miklah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man, no man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all the camels. Without saying a word, the man watched closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Wow, a lot of things going on here. The, the servant goes and he stops right before the town and he prays a very specific prayer. He already knew the Lord had, had commanded Abraham, so he knew he was already in the Lord's will. And I think when we're walking in the Lord's will, it's okay for us to pray very specific prayers. And so he prayed a very specific prayer. He wanted to be successful, but he knew the only way he could find out was with the Lord working on his side. And the Lord provided in an amazing way. It was the custom of the time that the women would go and get the water. And this was an unbelievably difficult job. And so as Rebecca comes out and as she is getting all this water, as she is getting the water for the camels, this was not easy. Do you know that providing water for camels is a really, really hard task? Because uh, a thirsty camel can drink more than 30 gallons of water in less than 15 minutes. That's 300 gallons of water. She was carrying a, a five-gallon jug. 
that would have weighed close to 40 pounds. She had to go up and down from the well. It's not like she was pulling it up from a rope. She was actually walking down into the well, getting the water, coming back up. She would have had to do that 60 times to provide for all of the camels that the servant had brought. He was praying very specifically, and he obviously wanted someone that was honoring God, but he also wanted someone that would work hard, that would be a great wife for Isaac. And you can just imagine the servant watching this just watching her work so hard uh, at getting all of this water for him and for the camels. And he has this response. And this response would have been a very similar response to, to many of us as we saw the Lord working in this awesome way. Verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two bracelets weighing, weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, born to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, God of my father Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. Can you imagine he's going on this journey here and he's trusting in God. He's stepping out in faith. Have you ever done this in your life? You're stepping out in faith. You believe this is God's will and you're taking a risk. He's going to try to find someone for his master's son, Isaac, and God shows up in amazing ways. He does abundantly, exceedingly more than he could ever imagine. I love that verse in Ephesians 3, 3.20, that, that the Lord is able to do exceedingly more than we could ask or imagine. Isn't that true in our lives? Is that we think that God's going to show up in one way, and he shows up in an amazing way, totally blowing, our, blowing away our expectations. That's what happens here. So he just bows down and worships. And that's part of the reason why we gather to worship on Sunday mornings is that we want to remember how good God is, is that he blows away any expectations that we might have of him. He goes far above and beyond. And so the Lord has led the servant to uh, Rebecca, and now he's heading back to the household to see if she'll actually come, if the family will actually release her into this marriage. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm, as soon as he sees this jewelry on her, he's wondering what is going on here. He didn't have, she didn't have these before. He had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went into the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and the men to wash their feet. The food was set before him and he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us. Laban said. So after this long journey, he comes to the house, and of course, they need to wash their feet. It would have been a dirty and long journey, and they go inside, and he's like, well, tell me why you're here. And so Laban goes on to recount what had happened. So he said, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he's become wealthy. 
He's given me sheep and cattle and silver and gold, men servants and, and maid servants, camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and she's given him everything he owns. My master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in, those in whose land I live. But go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. He's doing his sales pitch here, right? He's seen God show up all the way to be, having Rebecca be released into the care of him to bring him back to Isaac. And he wants it so badly and he wants God to finish the deal. Then I asked my master, what if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, the Lord before me, whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and make your journey success so you can get a wife for my son for my own clan and for my father's family. Then when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath. Even if they refuse to give her to you, you'll be released from my oath. When I came to your spring today, I said, Oh Lord, God, my master Abraham, if you will, please grant me success in the journey from which I've come. See, I'm standing beside the spring. If a maiden comes out to draw water and I say to her, Please let me drink a little from your jar. And if she says to me, Drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too. Let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out and her jar and her shoulder, she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I'll water your camels too. So I drank and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel of, of Nahor, whom Micah, Milka born to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who's led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you show me kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me so I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. Let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. So they see how God has moved through this whole process. And they see that God is in control. And this must have been such a difficult decision for them to make. But they knew it was from the Lord. And so they granted Abraham go with her. Go with the servant. When Abraham's servant heard what they had said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. And the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and mother replied, Let the girl remain for us ten days or so, then they may go. So they agreed for her to go, and the servant was like, Mission accomplished. We're going. So they ate, they spent the night, and they, he's ready to go the next day. And everyone's like, whoa, hang on, we weren't ready for this. I thought we were going to have a little bit more time with our daughter and friend, Rebecca. But he said to them, do not detain me. Now the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. And then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent, her sister, they, they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister 
May you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. And so you see an important principle here is that when God tells you to do something, you know it's God's will. You know that God is moving in it. Don't delay. Don't delay. Delay can just have doubt seep in. He didn't want that to happen. He didn't want them to change their mind. He just wanted to go. And so they went after they prayed for her and gave her a blessing. Now Isaac had come from Bir Lahai Roy, who's living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. Can you imagine this moment here? I mean, this is the time where they're meeting. They're going to be married at first sight, and Isaac knows that this, this uh, group of people that's coming back is going to have his wife, and she looks up. She got down from the camel and asked the servant, Who is the man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What a story, right? What a story of God working in the midst of a marriage. Marriage is is God's idea, and this was a true story, a true love story, a marriage that God brought together. Isaac and Rebecca, as we see in the coming chapters, they were happily married, but they had an imperfect marriage. As you look further chapters on in, in Genesis, you see that Isaac and Rebecca had infertility issues for 20 years. If you've ever been through any of that, you know how difficult and how horrible it is to go through that. For 20 years, uh, they weren't able to have children, so they had to work through that and bring that to the Lord. And then when she did have a pregnancy, it was very difficult, a pregnancy with twins. And then they had difficulty parenting together, to say the least, as we'll see here in the coming chapters as we walk through Genesis, that she gives birth to Jacob and Esau, and they're two very, very different people with two very, very different personalities. So you see this marriage that God brings together. You see that they're happy together, but they're imperfect together. God provides marriages for people that are happily imperfect, and that's what I think we should strive for. And so this morning, I want you to take three steps to a happily imperfect marriage. Now, if you're not married, I believe that these steps can work really in any type of relationship, but we're talking in the context of marriage this morning. The first step is you need to realize that you did not marry Jesus. Now, some of you knew this right away, right, right off. Like as soon as you went on your honeymoon, you knew this. You saw the flaws right away in your marriage that you did not marry Jesus. You did not marry a perfect person. And so I think it's so important that we apply the golden rule to our, to our marriages. In Matthew 7, it says, so in everything, do to others what you have them do to you. We live in a world right now where people are so quick to anger. I was on um, State Road 210 this week coming up on 95 and there's two lanes that turn onto 210 and there was a Jeep and there was a Mustang that were vying for a position. 
And the Jeep was a little bit ahead, but of course the Mustang's a lot faster. So the Mustang veers in front of him. And the Jeep tries to go around, and the Mustang cuts right in front of him, almost turning his car completely to the side. They both get out of their cars together. I'm like, what is happening here? They start screaming at each other. And then thankfully, they both got in their car and left. And I thought, wow, we're so quick to anger. I think sometimes we treat the people that we love the most the worst because we have this comfort level with them. And so remember that you didn't marry Jesus. Have patience with one another. And remember that if, if in your marriage there's hurtful words that are coming out, respond, in, respond with kind words instead of responding with angry words. You did not marry Jesus. Just, just remember that. Second step is I am not Jesus. That's the second step. You need to remember that you are not Jesus. This is a lot more difficult for some of you. Some of you in your marriage, you think that you are the better spouse. You think that you are more perfect. So I have a solution for you. You know, everyone is wearing uh, masks or face shields. So I have this special face shield that I think you should wear. And on the front that's facing you, it says, I am not Jesus, okay? So you can just wear this around. It's a little difficult to see, but it's a great reminder that you are not Jesus, okay? You need to be reminded of that because I think sometimes we struggle and when we're in arguments and when we're going through things and we're going through marriage and we're going through life together, I think it's really easy to point uh, the finger at other people. But I think it's so important that we remember that. I did not marry Jesus. I am not Jesus. And then I need Jesus. I need Jesus. They marriage of Isaac and Rebecca had the foundation of worshiping God together. And we need Jesus all together. We need Jesus to love others. There's no way that we can love others on our own. We, we, we can't do that. We need Jesus because the extent that we love people is the extent that we have been loved and we have been loved greatly by Jesus. In fact, in 1 John 4.19, it says that. What, what does it say here? It says, we love because he first loved us. Jesus came on this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, a painful and awful death for us. He loves us, and because he loves us, we're able to love others, right? Because we understand the love that we've been given from Jesus. He goes the furthest. He came first. And because he did all of those things for us, because he was a seeking and saving Savior, he shows us how to love others. St. Augustine, who the, this uh, great city is named after, said, The Lord commands what you will and grants what you command. So maybe in your relationships, maybe in your marriage, you haven't been expressing so much love. Maybe that you need some help to do that. In Jesus, there's always hope for change. In Jesus, he always can equip you to do the things that you need to do. It's, see, it's not up to you. It's about Jesus working in your life. It's about the Holy Spirit working in through your marriage. And I believe it's unbelievably freeing when we, when we trust in that. It's not about the work that we do. It's about the work that Jesus does. Trust in Jesus in your relationship, in your marriages. Trust in him. We all desperately need Jesus. We need to uh, be able to give the love that Jesus gives to others. 
We live in a world right now that is so chaotic. I mean, this is just one of many images that we see on a daily basis. And to me, it confirms Scripture. It confirms what Scripture says. In Jeremiah uh, chapter 17, verse 9, it says that the heart is deceitful. It says that we desperately need Jesus because who can understand the heart that's so desperate? Well, the one who understands our heart is, is Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 3, it says this. What the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. We do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. On our own, we live in the sinful nature. But when we count on Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, he gives us his righteousness. He gives us hope. He gives us peace. He gives us eternal life. He gives us joy that can be the foundation of our marriages. It can be the foundation of our relationships. In Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6, it says, You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The only hope that Isaac and Rebecca had to have a happily imperfect marriage was the foundation of their faith. And I believe it's the same thing for us is that we don't deserve to have any type of happiness in our marriages. We don't deserve to have any type of peace in our life or joy in our life because we're sinful by nature. But God saw us in our sin and he sent a seeking and saving Savior. And he said, you don't have to get your life all together before you come to Jesus. In fact, I came because you're all, you are flawed. You're flawed in your marriages. You're flawed in your relationships. And you need a Savior. And so he came so that we could have grace and mercy, and hope. I want you all to know that you are way worse than you think you are. But cheer up, be happy about that, because the gospel is way better than you could ever imagine. See, when we think of ourselves as being a little bit better than we really are, then we take away from what the gospel really is. The gospel has saved us from all of our sins, all of our mess, all of our shame, all the ways that we've let down our spouse, all the ways that we've let down people in our lives. We desperately need Jesus. And so invest in your marriages. Take time to do these three steps. I think you should invest daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly. What I mean by that is invest daily. This daily in your marriage, whether it be just sitting down for 15 minutes and talking about life together. Give your husband or, or, or wife a compliment. Shoot them a text that maybe you don't normally do. Invest in your marriage weekly. Do a date together. It doesn't have to cost money. You can just go and walk on the beach or, or take a bike ride together. Invest in your marriage weekly. Invest in your marriage monthly. Do something a little bit more uh, than you would normally do. 
Maybe you can go out and spend the night somewhere or uh, go for a date that's a little bit longer. And then invest yearly. Do plans together. Talk about things that you're going to do together. Invest in your marriage. Because I believe that Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. Isaac and Rebecca's marriage shows that marriage is not easy, but also shows that marriage is God's idea. So take the time to do that. Marriages are being pressed very hard right now. Realize that if you are married, you are under a lot of pressure right now in your marriage. So make sure you take time to invest in your marriage. And when you take the three steps uh, to have a happily and perfect marriage, when you realize that you did not marry Jesus, that you're not Jesus, and that you need Jesus, I believe that you're going to be able to enjoy life a whole heck of a lot more. Because you're going to be able to see that, that you're loved by Jesus that he loves you, and because he loves you, you're able to be set free uh, to experience all that is found in Jesus. I believe you'll be able to enjoy your marriage a whole lot more because maybe your expectations of your spouse will come down a little bit, and uh, you'll be able to realize that you can have a happily and perfect marriage that's founded on Jesus. So run to Jesus together. Go to church together. Go to small group together. Do devotionals together. Read God's word together. Fight for your marriage. Fight for a happily and perfect marriage. And I believe if you follow these steps, you'll be able to enjoy flawed people a whole lot more because they're all around you. I mean, look around right now. Look around. This room is all full of flawed people. Look up on stage. Hey, flawed person, deeply flawed person. You'll be able to enjoy those people so much more when you realize that these are people that need Jesus just like I do. We'll be able to give so much more grace. We'll be able to give so much more mercy. We'll be able to give so much more joy. We believe that Jesus enables us to joy happily in perfect marriage because marriage is God's idea. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that we can learn from your word. That we can experience the goodness that you would have for us in the midst of a flawed world. Lord, right now, marriages are under more pressure than ever. And so I pray right now for all of those that are in here that are married. I pray, God, that you give them great grace, that you would strengthen their marriage. They have marriages that were thriving. You have marriages that are happily imperfect. I pray for all those in here that are not married. They'd be able to apply these principles to their lives and to their relationships. And I know for some of them, it's so difficult to be single. I pray, God, that they would be able to take steps of faith with you, realizing that you're in control, realizing that you know what is best for them in their life. And I pray, God, no matter how hard it is, that they would submit their lives in worship to you. Lord, I'm so grateful that we can... Uh, come together and gather together, especially in this time. And so I pray this week you would give us great joy. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.